Hello and welcome. My name is Mike Bankhead. I am your host. I am a bass player and songwriter from the Gem City, Dayton, Ohio. On today's episode, I talk to Alan Corduroy Brown from Huntington, West Virginia. He is a pop rock musician with interesting things to say. And he's so interesting that one episode just couldn't contain him. That's right, folks. This is just the first episode of at least two. Get ready for a harrowing story of a brush with death. No, really, it's coming. Listen. Hey there. Hey, that hey. was the official recorded greeting. Sorry. <laughs> how you doing? Oh, I'm good, man. I'm good. We're uh, just talking about how hot it's getting, how uh, how we got to keep, keep our bodies in shape when we start playing all these shows this summer. <laughs> yeah. I Man, I didn't do a good job during the pandemic of, being, of making healthy choices. I'm going to have to do Ooh, better going forward. Same. Same. <laughs> I say during the pandemic, like it's over and it's totally not over. <laughs> That's true, man. It's like here in Huntington, West Virginia, it's starting to see more cases pop back up and you're like, can we, man, can we not? <laughs> I don't think we can unless we all stay away from each other again. Yeah. I have a feeling it's about to get kind of nasty again, which I don't know what COVID's like now. We don't have to get into all the COVID stuff, but it's just, man, I just remember the good old days. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't get into the, all the COVID stuff, except for you have a horrifying and very interesting personal story with it. And I can't let that go. As much as you probably don't want to talk about it, it's it's a pretty good conversation starter. So yeah. first, I should probably have you introduce yourself and then tell people how you died. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, it's a good starter. I, I'm never tired of talking about it because it is still a pretty fresh thing. I mean, just, just over a year ago at this point. And um, so I'm Corduroy Brown from Huntington, West Virginia. Um, down here, I basically try to tell people like if you've ever seen the Hunger Games, we're basically where Katniss is from. Um, yeah, exactly. We like there's a lot of coal and forest and woods and stuff. So, um, yeah, just right down there. We also uh, this is an interesting area because Huntington, West Virginia is literally right across the bridge from Ohio. Like, I mean, I can literally throw a rock and hit Ohio right about where I'm sitting and 10 minutes down the road is Kentucky. So you were kind of in the middle of like all three states that have a lot of music going on. And um I mean, the Huntington music scene is is crazy, honestly. There's so much talent here. And, and just down the road with Charleston, West Virginia, and then up the road to Morgantown. And uh, so, yeah, that's me. I make kind of like pop rock, feel good music. Feels like the 90s, 2000s. It's going to make you dance. It's going to make you cry. But uh, in all that, there's always a little bit of seriousness and kind of internal dialogue that, that goes along with it, too, I think. Huntington is where Marshall is, right? Marshall University, yep. I think I've been there. It's a nice, uh, nice town. It ain't too bad. It's definitely got better over time. Um, and there was that movie called We Are Marshall as well. I think Matthew McConaughey was in there. So a lot of people know it from that. But yeah, man, it's, it's not a bad little place. It could, you know, just like anywhere. It could be better. It could be worse. You mentioned the music scene there. I feel like towns with universities are going to have musicians for some reason. 
I don't think you're off for, yeah, you're right. I mean, because I spent time in Athens, Ohio as well to go to school and uh, hung out up there a lot. And it just seems like where there are young people, there's a huge arts and music scene because that's, that's exactly what it's like here in Huntington, man. I mean, it's, it's truly, it's kind of crazy. And like, I don't want to say that I'm like in the older crowd yet because I'm 30, right? So I'm not old, but like to see like the new people coming up in the new scene too, it's, it's crazy how much it's evolved. Like, not that I'm some gatekeeper for the Huntington music scene or anything, but it's just like interesting to see every year. There's just more and more and more really, really good stuff. Super talented people around here. I'm 44, so I think I count as old now. <laughs> and I've been going to local music shows here in Dayton, Ohio for well, over half my life. Mm -hmm. And... You know, I feel the same way about Dayton as you feel about Huntington. There's just a lot of really talented people here. And I kind of wish more people outside of Dayton knew that and would would stop by and take it and take a little close look at what's going on in our city musically. It sounds like you feel that way about about the tri-state area where you're at. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of been crazy because obviously like Tyler Childers is a giant, you know, international artist now. He's not from Huntington, but he's, you know, pretty much made Huntington, West Virginia's home playing in different venues around here. And even in Kentucky, man, like I was in a place called Manchester, Kentucky, and like there were just venues and venues and venues and venues way out in the sticks where you wouldn't even think, but there are you know, well-attended music venues. So I think it's out there. People just need to, I was listening to the one with the uh, episode you guys did with Hello June. And um, she was kind of saying like, you know, people kind of sleep on things and they don't really know like how much their participation, even with like simple, just acknowledging stuff on social media helps so, so, so much. Yeah. This makes me want to go for a visit, not even necessarily to play a show, even though that would be cool. Yeah. But to catch a show. Mm -hmm. You know, as musicians, we like seeing shows just about as much as we like playing them. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Uh, my girlfriend was like, uh, don't make plans on Halloween and stuff. And I was like, I'm not. I don't I don't want to play. I don't want to work on Halloween. I want to I want to go enjoy something like I want to go and see other people do stuff and do stuff that I don't have to feel like I'm working because it's people don't think this this is a job. They think, you know, you just play shows and everything else works out. <laughs> That's not the case. It is not the case. So. Real quick, let's I want I would like you to tell the story of how you died. Yeah. And then we'll come back to how music is work. Yeah, let's do that. So, yeah, this time last year, I was sort of recovering, I think, still. I was, I don't think I was back to work yet, but because all this stuff happened in like March, April of 2021. So, when I had COVID back in, um, actually, I had COVID in January of 2021, right? So, when I had COVID, it wasn't all that bad. It was like a cold, you know, my body felt tired and kind of weak and sinuses were all messed up. So, it wasn't a big deal. I got really fortunate in that aspect. Like, when I had physically had COVID, it wasn't that bad. So, fast forward about a month, I'm back to work, you know, feeling not too bad, you know, not, not anything crazy. I noticed my lymph node on the side of my neck is like super swollen. And I was like kind of nauseous and whatever, whatever, just had a hard time sleeping. So I was like, okay, maybe I just need to go to like the urgent care and get antibiotics. They're, they'll send me home, you know, not a big deal. Um, 
I ended up going to the hospital. They said, hey, you need to go to the hospital because you're we're going to do some blood work on you because your breathing's kind of labored and like we noticed your fever's up. And I was thinking, yeah, I mean, surely they're just going to send me home with antibiotics. And they're like, no, your blood work is coming back kind of wacky. You should probably go to the hospital. And I'm thinking, are you serious? Like, come on. Like, can I just get antibiotics? And they're like, no, you need to go. Like, and I was like, seriously. So I had to sign a waiver saying, hey, I refuse to go to the hospital when it was, <laughs> you know, like, hey, you should do this. I was like, no. So another two days go by. I've at this point, it's, you know, actually a day goes by. It's Friday and I haven't eaten yet. I've been throwing up everything that's even remotely close to me. Um, my kidneys feel like they've just exploded in my body and, you know, my, my, my breathing's super effort, you know, efforted and all this stuff. So I go to the hospital and first time I go to the hospital, they say, Hey, yeah, you just need to calm down. Here's some anxiety medicine, which I wasn't anxious. I was having trouble breathing and, um, you know, here's some anti-nausea medicine cause you, you know, can't anything down and they're just like, Hey, here's just take this stuff, send you home. And I came back within 10 hours and said, no, we got to get something. So that's a Friday night into Saturday. Fast forward to Tuesday of the next week. Uh, I'm laying in the bed and it's such a crazy feeling to not be able to draw breath properly. You feel like you're you're trapped. It's scary. And um, uh, the nurses come in after being there for you know days and days of in the hospital. They don't really know what's going on, and they've done every possible. My blood work receipts were like CVS receipts. They were giant. I mean, gigantic, like crazy amount of blood work they were trying to figure out because they couldn't quite figure it out. So at Tuesday morning, about five in the morning, I, I had talked to a chaplain at the hospital, and because they sent a chaplain in saying, uh, "Hey, you know." we want to get you to talk to a chaplain before the morning. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's not a good sign, but I'm not super concerned yet. So a few hours go by and they say, Hey, Mr. Brown, we have to put you on a ventilator. And I said, why? And they're like, well, right now you're in heart failure and your lungs are failing too. And I said, I'm talking to you guys. What do you mean? They're like, no, like you, we, you need to call your family and you, we got to put you on a vent. And Everything ramped up at that point. It's super, super crazy. Uh, high speed. I remember getting ready to be wheeled down. I remember like coming in and out of consciousness before I got sedated and stuff because my I just had no air in my body. And um, I guess to shorten it because I could short I could go into millions and millions of details. Um, I got put on a vent. I got life flighted to Morgantown, West Virginia, which is a couple hours away from Huntington. And I got put on life support. It's this life support type called ECMO where they put these giant tubes in your hips where you have your um, like main arteries and stuff that run through there. And they basically were taking my blood out of my body and putting oxygen back in it <laughs> and then putting it back in my body so my heart didn't have to pump because when I, apparently I died in the helicopter ride there. And they had to bring me back, put me on life support because I was in heart failure, lung failure, kidney failure, and liver failure all at the same time. And this was a month after COVID. This wasn't even when I was sick still. So we could go into this for a mile and a half worth of content. But like with this, what it came out to be with, was this thing called MIS-A. And if you've never heard of it, it's because it's a very rare thing. Even the doctors up there. I mean, it was an act of God, like many acts of God, like that they had specifically like a, a, a specific cardiovascular COVID unit that was ready, that was that finally started accepting patients again. And the helicopter pilots were like ready to fly like at that exact everything just happened. Like, that's how I know I'm still supposed to be on this earth because so many things happened that made me have a place to go 
And um, it was insane, man. You learn a lot whenever you're faced with your own mortality. And, you know, it's that's a real abbreviated version of all that. But it seemed like as soon as I got back, I was supposed to be on life support for two weeks. And I was on for four days because my body started making a comeback. And um, I had surgery to take the giant tubes out of my legs. And they were slowly letting my heart beat over, you know, by itself. So again, it was this thing called MIS-A and one at the time, less than 40 people in the entire country had had that. And it's like, basically your immune system freaks out when the antibodies from COVID get made and it put my heart into the state of shock. So when my heart started going into this shock, it started freaking out my other organs. And then that's what everything starts shutting down real fast. So they had to put me on life support to make sure my body was going to do its, you know, do as little as it could. And then if I was going to be able to come back, that my body would have something to actually my organs wouldn't even stand a chance. So it was insane, dude. Not recommended. Not 10 out of 10. One, that sounds fascinating, but just awful. Uh, I Googled it. Multi-system inflammatory syndrome mm-hmm. in adults. Yes. If you were a kid, it'd be MISC for Exactly. Children. Yes. Um, first of all, you know that what you have is bad when there is an acronym for it? <laughs> yeah. Nobody... You ever notice that like nobody goes to the hospital with something that there's an acronym for and it's just fine. That's a good point. <laughs> That's a good point. And it was, yeah. Yeah. What, and you are correct. What it is apparently caused by the immune systems interacting with SARS dash COV dash two, another acronym, the virus that causes COVID-19 mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's awful. Yeah, there's not a lot of people that like it was I've learned a ton about it. It's still, you know, recently my doctor texted me, the guy that literally brought me back from the dead came, you know, he texted me and said my stories were being shared in like a big medical conference in Boston. And, you know, it's it's pretty insane that that happened. But what what was really insane was just like, you know, the white light that people talk about seeing, like if they die and stuff. That's real, dude. That's completely real. Like that that that's a very real thing that i saw and i was in like this infinite white space as far as i could see and i could see my body i could i it's like i could acknowledge that i was not on the earth i, I could acknowledge that. i remember that plain as day and i've seen this played this thing back in my head so many times but it was like i was in this infinite white space and it, it times out because it was like you know i remember that after getting wheeled down to be put on a vent i remember that then the next thing i remember is morgantown so like the timeline works out but it was like um as far as i could see just infinite white and it started off there was like this little i hate to call it like a ball of energy but it was kind of something like that that contrasted against the white and it started against on my left side of my chest and it started really close to me and then it slowly 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 went way 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 out in the infinite white and then the next thing I remember was I was getting looked at by, there were 17 doctors total, not nurses, not assistants or whatever, like total different doctors, like multiple for my heart, multiple for my life support stuff, multiple for my liver, my kidneys, my lungs. It was insane. And um, man, when I woke up, you know, you're real, yeah, I wasn't out of the woods for a while. There was obviously a lot that went on with that, but you know, it was just a crazy thing to wake up to because you're hooked up to every possible machine. You know, you're stiff as a board because you can't move. And you you learn to appreciate so much, man. And and even with music, you know, we had the album almost done that came out last year. But like we we had it just felt like 
there were so many people rooting for me and cheering me on and wanted me to make it out of that that it's almost like those people just like willed me out like out of all of that because it got I got about as close as you could get. I mean, that's that you, you can't get any closer than that. So um, that's obviously going to affect kind of your outlook on life in general going forward. I would think. Yeah, you learn a lot when you're faced with your mortality, man. You realize that. We really don't have it all figured out. We, we, we make life so much more complicated than it ever needs to be. Like you're allowed to be upset and have emotions, but like, I can't, I, I couldn't stop thinking about how much time I remember sobbing and like being wheeled down, like just, you know, you get, you get rolled around the hospital like crazy in situations like that. Whenever, you know, they're taking you everywhere to test you and do this and do this and this and just like trying to figure out why I wasted so much time being upset about things. And like the time I didn't go and spend with my friends or call my mom or do this or do this. And like, you realize like, man, we like, this is the one time that we, we don't know what's past this. Like, I don't know where I was. I wasn't on the earth, but like, we don't really know if there's anything else. And like, so what are we doing? Why are we wasting our energy? Why are we sitting in our own way? Why are we, why are we not running a thousand miles per hour to go and do every single thing instead of making excuses and saying, well, I don't know. I'm just kind of too tired. Like we never are going to get those minutes back. And I, I, I didn't want gifts at that. I didn't want any physical things anymore. I wanted more time. And that's, that's profound. That's what I wanted more than any, I don't want watches. I just want more time, you know, like, um, but it was, man, uh, the people in Morgantown, West Virginia, Ruby Memorial Hospital. Uh, I'm speaking of Morgantown, hoping to get a show with Hello June from Morgantown. And I'm going to invite all those doctors. And they said they're going to be there, man. So it's good. I mean, that's going to be an emotional day because I haven't seen those people since I left last year. And they're the reason that I'm still here talking to you right now. I've never talked to anyone else that's um, been on the ventilator before. Do you remember? Were you still coherent when they put you on the ventilator? No, they sedate you before that. Um, but I remember coming in and out of either consciousness or life or whatever. Cause I like before they sedated me to be put on the vent, they were wheeling me down and they were hustling. Like, because when they made the decision to go to the vent, people started coming out of the woodwork and they were fl I mean, it was crazy. It's like out of a movie. And, uh, cause it started, my lungs started just, my body was plummeting. And I just remember laying down, there were three people on each side of me of each side of my, you know, gurney or whatever the bed is. And the woman closest to me on my left side, I remember my eyes just literally like, you know, when you're like nodding off, like when you're like kind of taking a nap, mm -hmm. it felt like my body, I could feel myself going and I couldn't fight it. And I was accepting it. And I just remember looking up at her with my eyes like real foggy and she was looking at me scared to death. I mean, I could see as she had fear in her eyes because I was dying right then. And so they put me on a vent. And I remember the moments before being knocked out to be put on a vent. And I remember waking up in Morgantown, however, however long ago later. Um, and like my eyes, my, my parents have videos of me, like kind of like mumbling some things and my eyes kind of opening and stuff. But um, I talked to, apparently I talked to this one nurse's ear off about playing music, like Patsy Cline songs or something. <laughs> I don't know. It was just wild, man. But um, the community here, is insane and the community everywhere 
came together. And when I woke up and could kind of tell what was going on, I, I looked at my Facebook, my phone. I remember my phone physically being hot because so many people were messaging and calling me and like, at, like, you know, just my phone was just hot, physically hot. I could feel it in my bed. And um, there was a GoFundMe that my best friend Josh had set up when I was literally dying and I didn't know but it had like within two days it had thirty thousand dollars in it wow and that was not just that there was there was you know restaurants from back here at home like making sure my family had food to eat and like people making sure my family had place to stay and like that's what life's about it's not about winning it's not about like i don't know man it's just what we're all humans on this earth and like why are we just let's just do it all let's take care let's be as freaking good as we can like that's what it's about man it's there's still i don't have enough words for how much people stepped up whenever my family and i needed it it was it's honestly insane juxtaposed with the the news that came out of buffalo this week mm -hmm. which obviously makes us question what are we even doing because people are worst yes but you have a personal example where people that you don't even know were complete opposite of the worst Right. Your, your yeah. situation yeah. brought out the best in an unknown number of strangers in your area. Yeah, it was. And it wasn't even like local. I, I wasn't supposed to see the list of people cause I didn't set up the GoFundMe, but I was, my friend Josh was like, kind of showing me some of the names. I didn't recognize half of them. It was people from far away. I mean, people, and I don't know, like, like, if you're into like Jesus stuff, I grew up in church. So like I got questions and I question sure all kinds of stuff. But like, I know that my, my godparents said that there are people in like Romania and Lithuania and different country parts of Africa, like praying and like, you know, commenting and asking and stuff. And I was like, who the heck, what the heck is going on? Like, and I, and I don't know that I had some favor. I, I feel lucky that I made it. Cause I know there's some people that didn't, but it's just, man, I, you can't, you can't like not acknowledge the power of that many people coming together, whether it's religious or not coming together for one thing and just pushing for that, like something powerful about that. Even you even feel that doing yoga with the group of people, everyone's on the same wavelength and synced up. And there's something powerful about that. I think. I don't think any of us want to experience MISA. And the website I found that talks about it, which is from the CDC, so these are the people that would know, say that if you don't want to get MISA, we should probably start with not getting COVID-19. <laughs> yes. And so if anyone out there is concerned about being one of the rare people that experiences this genuinely frightening, frightening syndrome where your entire body decides, nope, that's it. Yeah, just try not to get COVID-19 and you, you'll probably be okay. I mean, something yeah. else will get you because nobody gets out of life alive, right? That's but, true. That's true. <laughs> have you written a song about this yet? That's everyone's question. Um, so there's a song on the album called Better on the Ground. And my friend Jeffrey McClellan, who, writ, who mixed and recorded the album, he wrote that song whenever I was in really, really bad shape. And when I was aware enough, like the next four or five days to message people and like kind of, I'm still, I've found messages where I'm not making sense to anybody, but there's a, when I finally kind of came to the understanding what was going on, 
I had messaged him and um, I said, man, I, I said this thing where I was just like, what are we doing? Why are we wasting so much time? Like I, I spent so much time, like, like I was saying, like I spent so much time being upset and like, I don't know why, like, why am I doing this? Why did I waste all that time? And what I sent him like a bunch of this stuff. And he was like, Hey man, uh, I have a song for you. I want you to listen to when you can. And I was thinking he was going to send back cause the album was mixed or it was getting mixed. It was almost done. And he sent back a song that I'm not kidding. You dude had I, almost word for word what I had in it but he had already written it like a week before he'd written it, mixed, mastered it. He did all the instruments, all the vocals on it. He had written a song a week before, like not a week, four or five days before I texted him that had exact, literally almost line by line stuff that I had just said to him a week later. He had already written that and sent that to me. He, you know, does that make sense? Like he had made a song that with no knowledge of me, even know if he didn't know if I was going to make it, no one did. Then after, you know, I was able to like make sense of things, I messaged him and what I messaged him were literally like lyrics that were in that song that he had already made and it was insane. And, um, so it's called better on the ground. It's on the album. It's the album's called, let me know. It's been out, um, came out August of last year and it's a powerful song. It's, he wrote that song and it just talks about exactly that. Like, I swear that I'm going to do better with this time. I swear. Just if you get me out of this, I will do better with this. And I, that's been my vow to this life, man. It's like, I'm not going to get caught up on the freaking garbage and the stuff that doesn't demand my attention like that. It's not worth it. Like I'm going to spend my time loving and, and doing things that are going to fuel this passion and, and not just going to burn my minutes away. Cause this is it. How long you been doing music? I picked up my first guitar in high school. So somewhere in like 2007, 2008, my mom bought me a Fender CD 60 black acoustic guitar from a pawn shop. And, uh, man, I stopped playing basketball. I stopped everything to just start playing music. And, uh, it's never been a career, like a full, like, you know, quit my day jobs thing yet. But, uh, you know, maybe one day it will be. So I really started taking music seriously, though, probably back in 2015. Uh, there was a local band called The Dividends here in Huntington, and we we traveled. We did the did the thing for a while. Ended up, you know, splitting up. And um, I've always been involved heavily in the music since honestly 2008. So um, yeah, I'm working on a few more instruments now. I really want to get better at piano. I really want to learn how to play like a pedal steel. I feel like you, for anyone that's good at pedal steel, you see them, they're always like 60 and 70 years old because they've been playing for so long. So I guess I better start now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you mentioned earlier that your genre is pop rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that part of your elevator pitch? Like if someone's like, give me your elevator pitch. Is, is that how you describe it in the most succinct way? Yeah, because everyone wants to know, like, hey, what kind of music do you play? I'm like, yeah, it's like a feel-good, like, I always say feel-good pop rock. It kind of feels like the 90s, feels like the 2000s. It's just going to make you feel good. I always give them that that pitch overall because then that's broad enough, but also, like, positive, too, because <laughs> a lot of stuff is positive. It, there's a lot of talks with mental health in the music and a lot of very serious stuff, but there's also, it's kind of wrapped up in a pretty container, too, so... Who are some of your uh, influences on your writing and playing style? So I grew up with like tapes of Michael Jackson. I remember sitting under my parents' table watching him, you know, on you know on TV and stuff. And then you know when I started playing guitar, I started listening to like Flyleaf and like metal and stuff. So um, 
anywhere in between there. I know that's a completely different spectrum, but uh, one of my favorite bands is Houndmouth. They're from like Kentucky slash Indiana. And um, I don't know. It's just like that. It just feels good. I mean, uh, I love Casey Musgraves, Miranda Lambert. Um, well, that's just plain country. That's straight up country now. Yeah. So there's a little bit of twang in it. Um, man, I, I, but I mean, my whole spectrum probably goes from listening to the Migos to Michael Jackson to Casey Musgraves. Uh, man, it's all over the board. Well, that probably makes you a reasonably well-rounded writer if you're going to have influences from all those pieces, right? Mm-hmm. And you kind of just like, as you know, I mean, as a musician, you take so many things and you don't even realize it sometimes that, that stuff just kind of sinks in, right? Yep. Like, when you're going to write, what's the tool that you reach for first? My phone. <laughs> because like, uh, yeah, there's just so much that, that my phone is probably like yours is full of so many ideas and I'll hum a melody or play a guitar melody to my phone and just so I don't lose it. And then, you know, when I'm ready to release an EP or an album or something, I'll go in and, and pick out everything that has a name or a, like a some kind of, you know, workable melody. And if it doesn't have a name assigned to it, I delete it because it apparently wasn't good enough in the time to like make it a title. So then I'll start sifting through the stuff that has names and but my phone first, then generally I'll hum a vocal thing into the mic or something and then uh, or a guitar. I mean, mostly just guitar stuff right now. And since you have a band, your band is a regular group of musicians that you play with all the time, not a rotating cast of characters. Correct. You're, yeah. pretty, you're pretty set. That must be nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, it's had its ups and you know, I've had to rotate some cats in and out just like you do, but I got a pretty good solid group of cats right now. So when you bring a song to the band, is it done or do they have some influence on the arrangement? Now I know you said the, the song that you've already talked about was, uh, written by uh, McClellan, right? I'm yeah, Jeffrey, yeah. Jeffrey McClellan. But how much of a writing influence do your bandmates have on, on your music? I think with the first album, the whole point of that first album was to have as many musicians on it as possible. And obviously I didn't get every single person I wanted because it would have been a 400 track album with 16 discs. But like the the last album was is called let me know and it was the idea that like so many people in my life have always said that phrase and meant it let me know so you know if that's a pretty pers- like a profound statement if you mean it you know let me know how i can be of service to you let me know what you need let me know how i can help you just think about how many times you say let me know like in a day and we say it really nonchalant so the idea with that last album was to have as many hands on this album as possible um but we have a new ep coming out this july 2022 this year um and it's i kind of went away from that i had these songs in my head and jeffrey and i who recorded the last album are just in the booth doing all that stuff ourselves with minimal outside influence so the band members um, definitely have it because the songs evolve like they, they'll get recorded, but they'll they evolve live a lot as as they do. You had an artist name change and that kind of went right by me. What drove changing your your artist name and releasing your art under Corduroy Brown as opposed to Alan Brown previously, which is your government name? Yeah, I, I never wanted it to be. Uh, just my own thing. I, it needed some kind of branding and, and I never really have a cool story with what Corduroy Brown even is. I've, I've never wore Corduroy prior to this, but it was that one thing. Honestly, I always challenge people. I was, I'm always telling people like, if you can come up with a cool story, 
I'll roll with it and I'll give you credit because I do not have a cool story. But Alan Brown was in between, you know, in between the dividends and corduroy. So um, it felt like my song. It, it was a very like powerful song for me at the time. It, it was like a healing song for me, the Comeback Kid song that's under Alan Brown. Um, but so I don't know. I mean, it, it, it just needed something. Alan Brown's too vanilla. It's too, <laughs> it's too vanilla. But corduroy is something that, you know, kind of has its own thing where I always tell people cord you Roy is how you spell it. And no one forgets that it's cord you Roy. So do you actually wear corduroy on stage now? A lot. <laughs> Isn't that a little hot? It is. So I generally just have like a little hat now and then we'll wear whatever underneath, you know, other than that. But um, there's always some kind of corduroy somewhere close. It looks like we got about a minute on that Zoom left. Yeah. As as, uh, yeah. So we'll stop. We'll stop with the. Uh, I want Yeah, I definitely want to come back and finish this later. That was an absolutely abrupt ending. Thank you to Corduroy for chatting with me and I'm looking forward to finishing our conversation and letting the rest of you hear it. Thank you listeners for, for being here with me on this, uh, on this podcast. Why don't you check out Corduroy Brown on the internet links to his sites will be in the show notes. And also if you could like, or subscribe, that'd be cool. I have some more interesting guests coming your way next week. So come right on back. Thanks. Bye.